comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Episode number six of the DC TV podcast. Uh, we have a lot of really good episodes to talk about. You know what? I think this is the first week where every single show we're going to be talking about is something I enjoyed. What do you think? Yeah, I have, uh, yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, it was a, it was a good strong week for DC TV. And uh, as as for the last week, and as always on this podcast, uh, my compatriot, Mister Rich Sheldon, how you doing, Rich? Doing great. We are expanding the roster to four shows this episode um, with the addition of Constantine. Uh, the pilot aired on Friday. Yeah, so we'll be talking about that, and then Gotham, and then The Flash and Arrow. So four shows now going on from the DC Universe on TV. And, you know, four out of four actually being worth watching is pretty pretty good uh, batting average there. Yeah, and we'll get to it after Constantine, but this is probably the best offering I think Gotham has had so far this season. So, yeah, it's it was a surprise all through throughout i mean except for flash and arrow because i knew they'd be yeah gotham was actually very strong this week i was surprised but let's start off with uh, let's uh, do them in chronological order let's start off with constantine uh matt ryan portraying constantine and actually a british blonde bloke who smokes playing constantine not keanu reeves uh in the movie version because <laughs> i was able to see the uh, original version of this pilot when it came out, and I guess they did some reshoots and some changes because they decided that the story was going to go in a different direction and they're going to use some different characters from the Constantine comic. Um, but the uh, but the changes I saw were fairly minor. I mean, just a few things here and there. My understanding was it was basically just to write out the, uh, I'm drawing a blank, the female the character. Baron Winter's daughter. Yeah, I, mean, I yeah. know she was so bland and boring, all I can remember is that she was the daughter of Baron Winter's. Yeah. So. But uh, uh, <laughs> but I can, so I can see why they walked they wrote yeah, it out. You know? Yeah, so and they're bringing in, you know more about I don't know that much about Constantine. Is it Zed? Zed Martin. Yeah, yeah she's a good foil for Constantine because she is uh, in the books like more of a natural and you know naturally attuned to these kind of things that he deals with, and uh, she comes at it from kind of a different angle than he does. So it's an, it'll be an interesting mix of characters, and it'll be a better. I think it'll, it'll definitely be a better pairing for him than the bland girl from the first from the pilot. Just to treat myself, uh, this, today I ordered off of InStockTrades.com. Um, I ordered uh, the first five uh, trades of Hellblazer. Wow. So, um, well, you know, if, if you order fifty bucks, it's free shipping. So you know, I might as well, right. you know. They've had a lot of interesting uh, writers and, and artists over the years. Like, do some really cool runs. Uh, Garth Ennis's run was really good. Warren Ellis, I know, wrote it for a while. Um, there have been um, a lot of really great. Uh, Jamie Delano, I know, wrote uh, Hellblazer for quite a bit. So, 
Um, I don't. There's some. I don't remember who all wrote on these five, except for I do know that the fifth one was Garth Ennis. So I was kind of excited about that. I didn't know he wrote on it. I really like. You know, I don't know if you read The Boys, but that's made me a big Gar- oh, Garth yeah. Ennis fan. So. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, the character was created by Alan Moore, actually, um, and it was uh, the debut of Constantine was in Crisis on Infinite Earths number eight, oddly enough. But he was an ancillary character created in uh, Alan Moore's uh, run of Swamp Thing. He basically he based the character a lot on Sting, actually, he said in later interviews. And in the earlier versions, especially the versions drawn by Bissett and Tottlebin in that Swamp Thing run, he definitely looks like Sting. And the, the dialogue that Alan Moore writes for him is definitely Sting-ish, I would suppose. But this character, I mean, he grew definitely into his own character over the years. Um, so what did you think of the pilot? And coming at it having not read any of the... The only thing I've ever read was the Alan Moore Swamp Thing that had him in it. Um, and it's been so long... I don't really, I mean, I remember a little bit about his character in there, but uh, I kind of really went into this blind. I mean, I talked to you, uh, I think, off the air a couple weeks ago. I just recently saw the, the, the movie Constantine, and thankfully this is nothing like that. So, I mean, I, I went into this, you know, pretty much ignorant of, of the, the canon around Hellblazer, around Constantine. Uh, other than knowing that he's this damned to hell smoking British guy. So going into it, I was, you know, eyes wide open. And I have to say, I mean, there there was a little bit where, you know, I, I kind of had to back it up a little bit, you know, because I was a little confused because uh, of the way the pacing was, especially like around the point where they went to her father's cabin. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it, uh, to me, it was it was great, and it was a great pairing to to watch right after Grimm. So right. I, I think putting those two together because they're both you know dealing with things others can't see and stuff like that. I think it it definitely uh, will pick up the Grimm audience easily. And well, um, the the ratings prove you out because uh, Constantine held on to ninety percent of the Grimm audience. Sweet. Uh, in, in its lead in on its pilot. And it was up, going up against the World Series. Uh, it definitely held us on the ratings, but we'll get a little more granular on that later. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, uh, the Baron uh, going to his, uh, her, her dad's cabin uh, had one of the best Easter eggs from that uh, episode. And we could see Dr. Fade's helmet sitting that, there. That's where I backed it up. That's one of the points, because at first I, I was just kind of not paying attention. And I was like, wait, was that? Wait, wait. it was. <laughs> I'm like, cool. So yeah, I kind of I kind of got excited there, and and I haven't gone back and looked at it, but I had read somewhere a little blurb that apparently during that one shot of the the table that the helmet was on, there's like a bunch of other little Easter eggs. So I'm gonna have to go back and look. Yeah, me too. I'll have to check that out once it's on uh, ends up on Hulu or whatever. Um, go back go back and uh, you know freeze frame it and really really scope it out and get all get all this um easter eggs it's interesting too I mean, it'll be interesting to see the kind of balance it chooses like to go into the dc universe like i mean you got a a show like uh the flash which is just diving head first into dc continuity pretty much you know you're getting firestorm and captain cold and multiplex and all these guys and then you have constantine which i mean we we are we've heard we're going to get Papa Midnight and which makes sense for Constantine and also Jim Corrigan uh, is a character listed on the IMDb pages coming into the series as it goes on but I think they're they're definitely not going to have to go in as deep into the continuity as say the Flash or Arrow uh, does for its plot lines 
Right, right. Let me ask you, since you you're a longtime fan and you you know the canon pretty well, I was on Reddit and kind of just chatting with people about the show, and there were several people that they weren't really complaining about the show. They loved it, you know, as fans, but they they said that it being on NBC and following the NBC network uh, rules and him not actually smoking took something away from the character. Now, to me, I think the character's great. The smoking doesn't bother me. He's got the lighter, so there's the implication that he smokes. But but as a longtime fan of him, of the character, I mean, did it really diminish anything? There's even a scene, that be, I believe, at the end of the episode where they show him putting a cigarette out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, it's just, you know, Hellblazer was one of the very first Vertigo books. Right. You know, I mean, it was, it was like up there with Sandman and and uh, and some of the other, you know, very first Vertigo books. And, you know, for mature readers with mature themes and, you know, explicit violence, some really, it, the books went to some really dark, dark places at some points. Um, you know, that kind of, you know, adult themes, things like that, that might not be as, you know, network friendly. I think that bothers me more than the smoking. You know, I mean, right. I'm worried they're going to have to sanitize the story to the point that it's going to be a network thing. You know, I mean, we all, I mean, we talk on the Walking Dead TV podcast about, you know, how, thank God, it's not on ABC. You know, because right. you never see a zombie or whatever. It'll be interesting to see how sanitized they have to make Constantine to fit on NBC or how unsanitized they'll let it go. Because, I mean, like, you know, using Walking Dead again as an example, I mean, it has really set the bar for what has been accepted, you know, yeah. an acceptable amount of gore slash violence. Uh, on television, I mean, it's really, like, pushed the envelopes. So. And this time slot on Friday nights, you know, I think they could get away with a little bit more. Well, I know X-Files used to yeah. get away with some stuff now and again, yeah. you know. Um, again, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they'll have to really, you know, sanitize it and clean it up for it to be on a network, sh- you know, a network show, or whether they can pretty much leave it as it is, warts and all, and, and you know, still get away with it. So. Yeah. Pretty optimistic after the pilot, though. Uh, even the edited version of the pilot, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I like the casting so far. I thought Chaz was really well cast. Uh, Harold Perrineau is always a welcome uh, sight. He's a great yeah, character actor. He's been in a ton of and things. And it took me a minute because I kept going. I was like, "Is that Michael from Lost? Is that you know Pope from Sons of Anarchy? Because he's got those telltale cheekbones, you know." And I'm like. And then finally, I got a good look at him on a close-up, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, yes, that is him." It's always good to see him in uh, in things getting work because he is a pretty good character actor. Oh yeah, absolutely, he does that, and I thought he did well here. You know, yeah, um, just kind of, kind of almost taunting Constantine, you know, in the thing. Um, interesting note, real quick. This is directed by Neil Marshall, the film director who did Doomsday and a bunch of other uh, movies. Oh, okay, and. And I think it has like more of a cinematic tone, like especially like I'm thinking of the shot where he's inside the crater and it kind of pulls back from a crane shot, um, those kind of things. So you know that's definitely a plus. On the on the minus side, it kind of is giving me pauses that David Goyer has a hand in the script, and you know that can either be good or bad depending on who he's working with. I mean, on one end, you know he's he's worked with the on one end he's worked with the Nolans and put out some great stuff. On the other end, you've got Nick Fury agent of shot. <laughs> So, or, or Blade Three, you know. I mean, he's kind of a mixed bag. Bag, you're not sure what you're going to get with him. Well, I think Blade Three was more than just his fault, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you got you got to lay the blame somewhere, you know. Yeah, he's the leader. Um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool they dove into a little bit of the they call it the the incident that that damned his uh, stepdaughter and uh, that whole thing, and that's kind of 
that's kind of an important part of his backstory, you know, that whole um, incident. But, you know, they didn't spell it out. And I think that'll be, it'll be cool to see that unfold as the series goes on and kind of, you know, we'll see the effects of that on what he, he's trying to do now. Now, is that you know, following what? the comic as far as who the little girl is? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I, yeah, I didn't really know much that, that aspect of the character other than what I saw in the, the, the movie thing. And, I mean, in there it made it... I, I don't know, I just felt like it wasn't anybody that he was connected to. Yeah, well, in the movie they don't really have that connection. But in the, in the comic, basically what they're trying... They were dabbling with dark arts. They shouldn't have daughter, almost like a surrogate daughter for him. It's the daughter of his friends who were also part of the ritual. You know, gets taken to hell. Her soul gets taken to hell. So, I mean, that's like very, you know, very... You know, that's always, like, on his mind. You know, like the weight of that guilt is always with him, no matter what else he's trying to do or who else he's trying to help, or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely an important part of his backstory. I'm glad they kept it, you know. Um, well, but I, I enjoyed this pilot a lot. I really did. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that unfold as someone who doesn't really know that story. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of like the, you know, uh, death of Bruce parents in a way the catalyst the thing that drives him so that's that's kind of awesome to have that aspect to the character yeah I I, yeah. I will tell you this the the whole the whole show for the most part I really loved I loved the Easter eggs that we saw you know what little I caught you know there's probably a bunch of other stuff that I didn't catch because I don't know the canon of the character that well but um, I have to say that that rooftop scene at the end I mean that whole sequence I thought was some of the best television that you know I've seen in 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 weeks as far as action is concerned I don't think we've had action like that really since um what we've seen on walking dead you know <laughs> on television and and um like you were saying the way it was shot and everything i i don't know very cinematic very very impressive I, that that ending scene was just awesome and the opening scene in the asylum where you know he's in the group therapy yeah yeah trying to stay awake and then he sees one cockroach and then he sees two and then three and then he walks into the room and he sees the woman in the transfer he's like oh no 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 i'm not doing this again <laughs> you know it's just like that was a very Constantine moment for me. That kind of summed it up. You know, he's like, he's been through the ringer a dozen times. He's been through the ringer a dozen times, and and he doesn't want to go help people or whatever. But his his soul is damned to hell, and the only way he's gonna stay out of hell is by helping people. So, I mean, that's part of it. It's um, it's definitely uh, it, it'll definitely uh, I hope you know they'll, they'll delve into that a little more and it'll play out as as it goes on. It seems that that's where they're going with it though. So. Absolutely. Yep, I'm looking forward to the next episode. So definitely yay on Constantine, oh, yeah. I would assume. Oh, for sure. And next week, they're coming to Western Pennsylvania, supposedly. Um, into a mining community. So, cool. Constantine off to a good start. The pilot, pilot was strong, and we're looking forward to the next episode. So, our episode of Gotham this week, Spirit of the Goat. I definitely, I agree with what you said. It's definitely one of the, probably, if not the strongest, one of the stronger episodes of Gotham so far. Um, yeah. It, especially the ending. Oh, yeah, for sure. Although, it kind of suffered from, like, dramatic timing. Like, how did Cobblepot know exactly, you know, when Gordon was going to be booked and put in cuffs, and exactly when all that was going to go down, and you know what I mean? His timing just seemed a little too... I mean, that that kind of draws it into the comic book realm for me, you know, because everything seems to be right. timed well in a comic book. You know, panel plays off of the prior panel. Um, I, I, I didn't mind that so much, and 
I mean, one thing that that had bugged me about a couple of earlier episodes was I really liked the Enigma character, but the, it felt like they were forcing who he is on us as viewers. We got a probably if if not the most pretty close to the most of him in one episode this week, and I loved everything about the way his character was written and played off this week. I thought it it, it was very very well done. Are you, I see me referring to Miss Kringle. Yes, the whole bit with her and like redoing her files and everything. Yeah, and just like not being able to read any kind of social cues whatsoever and that kind of thing. I, I think all of that kind of plays into into that and kind of gives us more insight into why he is the way he is rather than just saying, okay, well, he likes riddles and likes to be a smarty. So, you know, here we are. I mean, he obviously pining for this woman in some some capacity or wants to connect with her in some way, and yet he has no capacity to do so whatsoever. You know what yeah, I mean? which is comic book nerds we totally get. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But um, well, now, speak for yourself. <laughs> but but I thought Corey Michael Smith did a good job of of Enigma in this episode. Yeah, um, just kind of like I don't know, almost like when she came in after he messed with her files, he was almost like a expecting her to like bow down and thank him. You know what I mean? Just yeah. kind of weird, almost autistic in a way. And I don't, you know, I don't want to offend anyone who has you know, autism in their family or whatever. But almost that kind of that Asperger's set of um, of coping mechanisms where you don't really, you can't really read other people's emotions. You're kind of lacking that empathic, um, you know, the empathic cues that we all can usually tell from people, you know, from talking. Absolutely, like my son, my son has Asperger's, and uh, it's that's exactly how he is. He'll do something that he thinks that you're going to be so proud of, and then you're like, "What were you thinking?" You know, of course, you you learn to to react differently with them. But yeah, I I totally can see that because uh, you know I've lived with that. So, um, and and the thing is, is is she seemed kind of to pick up on that towards the end of that sequence, it seemed like, you know, she started to have, uh, like she felt sorry for him in a way. Now, help me out. I've racked my brain and Googled the interwebs. I can't find a Miss Kringle character. I don't think there is one. Uh, Kristen Kringle, I think, would stick out. And I I Googled it as well, and I could not find anything. It's just the way... As far as I know, as far as I know, she's a new character. Yeah, because it's just the way that they were very prominent in him saying her name. I was like, Mm. man, it must be important to something. So I looked and looked, couldn't find anything. Maybe Paul Denny's uh, Jingle Bell. Maybe that's her real name. Who knows? Maybe it's a little nod to him. That's the only thing I can I can think of, I guess. But yeah, I, I don't think she's part of the Batman mythos in any major way. And if there's a listener out there who knows it differently, then please let us know in the comments. I mean, I'd, for sure, I'd rather know than not know. Now I have to also say that, and and it's drawn some criticism from some people, but to me, I thought it was kind of cool to get that scarecrow vibe from the whole spirit of the goat thing i mean obviously it's completely different but i definitely got that vibe at least in the beginning of the character when we were in the uh flashback 10 years ago or eight years ago or however long ago it was uh with with bullock i i felt that that there was just a lot of nod to what gotham is and and the kind of uh underbelly of gotham and the creatures that live there, you know, <laughs> with this character. Well, plus you get this kind of, like, sly, um, you know, like, 1% uh, um, commentary, you know what I mean? Right. Where she's, like, 
the hypnotist is programming these guys to be serial killers, but to kill the firstborn of the rich and the wealthy. The the haves and the have-nots is very, you know, I think they wanted to put that into stark contrast too in Gotham, just to show the difference between the you know the elites who have everything and the people in the streets who have nothing. You know? And I really liked how um, they did the whole proceed, like they leaned on the procedural part of or aspect of this show, but without really getting blatant with it. And, you know, I have to say is a lot a lot of your procedural shows anymore, uh, like CSI and that stuff, I've got I've got it figured out usually within the first 10 minutes. You know, I have a good idea. Right. Um, they well, are... when they show the therapist, when they made a point of uh, showing the therapist character, I knew she was involved somehow, but I didn't quite figure out that she'd been using hypnosis. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely figured it out before the reveal, but I think I figured it out as probably the rest of the audience figured it out. So that to me, it's definitely a, a good mark for the show because, you know, I like the procedurals and stuff like that. But here lately, like I said, they're getting to where they're very, very predictable and and honestly, this one probably may have been predictable, but it definitely hid what was going on for me long enough to make it satisfying for me as a viewer. Well, I think the parts I really loved about this show the most were, the uh, first of all, Dan Hedaya. Anytime you have any Dan Hedaya in anything, I'm, I'm there. I mean, going back to Blood Simple. I mean, he's probably best known as Carlos' husband on Cheers, but yeah. he's been in so many great movies over the years um, as Bullock's old partner. Uh, the whole thing about him calling him a white knight and stuff, kind of giving us that, wait a minute, well, isn't Gordon the white knight right. and Bullock the, the tainted cop? But, you know, kind of, you know, showing Gordon what he has in his own future in a kind of way. The the flashback back to the Bullock of 10 years ago, you could tell it was a different, it was, Donald Logue was definitely doing a different take on the character. You know, he was a good enough actor. I was able to differentiate, you know, him acting 10, you know, 10 years ago in a flashback to him, his Bullock now. You know what right. I mean? And uh, I just, I really, I really like the way that tied together. The whole uh, thing in the abandoned theater or whatever kind of reminded me of like Manhunter or um, other like serial killer movies, um, that kind of thing. Uh, it had a really good creepy vibe. Um, I, I really enjoyed that a lot. And then the the scenes with Carol Kane and and uh, Robin Lord Taylor yeah. as Oswald Cobblepot were um, that whole creepy bathing scene. I'm just like, you know, I, I felt like I had to take a bath myself after seeing that, you know, <laughs> just kind of very creepy, you, yeah. know, his, his, you know, mother bathing him and stuff. And, um, I don't know. It just, uh, it was a really good episode. I thought, and, uh, very little fish Mooney, if, if any this time. Yeah. Which is probably one of the reasons I liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I mentioned it because a lot of, a lot of people have had trouble with that character, you know, um, Again, and kind of, this episode kind of stepped back from the whole, um, you know, greater conspiracy story, too, um, that we kind of got a lot in the last episode, you know, with the Falcons and the Maroons right. and the, the Wayne uh, Enterprises and the Chemical Corporation and all that. It kind of stepped back from all that to give us this, you know, more police procedural thing. And I think if they go along with this path and just, you know, more emphasis on the cop drama, less emphasis on, uh, oh, look, Batman, you know, whatever. Um, then I think they're going to have a, end up having a successful series. It's just it's kind of taking them this long almost to find their way. In right, a way. right. I'm hoping, and this is I've heard. You know, this is not an original idea. I've heard other people say this on the internet that after the first season they do a time jump of like maybe five or ten years. You know what I mean? Give us some of that Batman Year One type stuff. I have to say that you know, like I said, this is this is probably my favorite uh, offering that they've had so far in this season. 
Um, I think though it, it it gave it more of that Batman-y feeling to me, to where I I don't know maybe maybe it's I am craving you know the bat in this you know to get further down the the storyline. I don't know. Yeah, I would love to see them do a time jump of like I don't know five, eight, ten years when. You know, Bruce is still kind of trying to figure out who, you know, what Batman is and what Batman needs to be. You know what I mean? That kind of whole Batman year one thing. Yeah. And then Gordon, like, a little more seasoned, a little more like Bullock. We'll see what they're doing this season first. <laughs> yeah. Guess, uh, yeah. See if they get a second season before we can speculate. In the uh, Facebook group, we got a few comments, too. Uh, Timothy Sedwick of the Geek Exchange of Pennsylvania wrote in. Uh, that's a pretty cool podcast. A few stuff's going on. Definitely tune into that. Uh, seems as each is... As if each villain is contrived, contrived to be insights into Bruce's subtext and evolution into Batman. Seems forced. They should pace themselves, I think. Well, I can kind of see that they're showing like different, you know, facets of what you know could or what could influence Batman. You know what I mean? Like the balloon man, the whole vigilante side of right. that, and him not wanting to be a killer. The whole striking fear and you know creating a legend like urban legend thing around yourself like batman does with the goat much like the goat did um so i could see his point you know yeah um i again i think if they back off the batman stuff and just use it more subtext rather than text him it's going to end up being a better show but that's just me uh johnny m says he's two weeks from uh long box of doom he's two weeks behind and hasn't really felt like catching up well, that's too bad, John, because the last two episodes have been the best two so far, I think. Yes. And Mike Myers from DC Noise, I thought it was great. The show keeps getting better and better as these characters grow on us. I kind of agree with him. You know, the show, like I said, I think it's, tr- it's starting to find its feet. And uh, hopefully it won't go too far astray into campiness again. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you're going to talk about ratings later, but I mean, is it is it still holding pretty well? Because I think that it's... as long as it can hold pretty well through to the mid-season they'll get a second season order and then they'll definitely be able to take some of the feedback and some of seeing what what worked and what didn't and uh you know really go into the last part of this season with with some really good stuff and then give us a great second season um so yeah the um this the ratings have been generally strong on the show um it hasn't been like a runaway hit but it's been it's definitely won its time slot in a couple of times um, even against some some pretty stiff competition, uh, enough so that they ordered you know the whole season um, for the show. So um, it'll be uh, again you know it'll be interesting to see how the show evolves over time and how um, you know if if it, indeed you know once it finds a balance that that the creators of the show like if that's going to connect with viewers too. Right. Okay, so this week's episode of Gotham, Spirit of the Goat, I say yay because it was probably the best one so far, if not last week. I, I don't I don't just say yay, I, I give it two yays, a yay yay, because it's definitely um, now going in a direction, it, you know, hopefully it's not a one episode thing and it, it continues to, to uh, delight me like this episode did. Yeah, I agree, this is, um, I think this is kind of, if they kind of use this as their template, going forward that they they probably will uh probably have a good show in their hands i just think if they keep going into camp and depending on the you know everything with um bruce and all that and keep trying to force him into the story even though he's not part of it then you know they might they might end up going astray okay our next uh show it's probably my favorite of the four uh, for the week just because all the cool stuff that went down i concur the flash going rogue episode three and 
by the uh, by the end of the episode, you know why they're calling it Going Rogue. Uh, it's the fourth episode of the series. We get introduced to Captain Cold, Leonard Snart. Uh, it's played by Wentworth Miller. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was just perfect as Snart. And kind of gave him that edge of that menace. You know what I mean? That just kind of edge that sometimes you kind of gloss over in the comics. Well, he's definitely probably my favorite in uh, Flash's Rogue's Gallery. And I was glad to see the character, and I was so so impressed. Um, you know, the old uh, he he looked right off the page, except for the, obviously his goggles or glasses were were different. But you know when he and they explained the goggles. I thought that yeah, was great that yeah. they had they had a good explanation why he wore those goggles. Yep. Um, you know, at first I'm like, well, where's the coat? And then the coat shows up and I'm just like, oh man, this is, I, I was excited. Um, there were so many good things about this episode. I, it, you know, it just, you know, between him and, you know, bonus of Felicity and, you know, some of the interplay between her and, uh, you know, Flash's team and especially, uh, uh Dr. Wells, I just, I thought it was so well written, so well played. I, I really, really I get. This is probably my favorite episode of this series so far this season. Yeah, and Emily Bent Records as uh, as as Felicity Smoke was a really good guest star. Although I have serious doubts that any heterosexual man alive would turn her down, even in favor of Candace Patton. But I'm skirting, you know. Uh, um, chauvinistic waters yeah, here. So. I couldn't suspend my disbelief at that. I'm just kind of like, come on, dude. She is throwing yours. Although he, you know, got a little kiss there at the end, but come on, man. I'm just like, she's been rejected by Oliver. She's been rejected by this dude. You know, I'm just like, come on, man. You know, it's this is where we need to write the the the, the chub toad into the the, D, the DTTV universe. <laughs> a, new, a new villain in Central City. Yes. Stalking hot geek girls. Yes. <laughs> First started in Starling City. You know the trade off though was I I wasn't expecting to have so much less Felicity on uh, Arrow, but at least we got a little at the end. But you know we did have we did have some Nissa to make up for that. Though. Yeah, but um. You know, I think I tweeted it out too. I was like, uh, the "Flat tonight's Flash is proof that we need to have a Felicity Smoke appearance in every TV show on television." Washington Wall Street Week, Washington Week in Review with Felicity Smoke. Yes, finally would make it interesting. <laughs> I thought the stuff with um, Joe West and uh, and his daughter and Eddie Thon was, um, I mean, it it was well written. I thought the way they, they ended up breaking it down and it kind of resolved itself, you know, in in its own weird way was was decent. Uh, it didn't seem too CW to me at all. Yeah. And I know we've had people write in and say, you know, that you know comics have soap opera elements too, but there's a difference between a soap opera element, a, a you know a plot point, and just like a CW moment. And I really I don't know if I could define it any in a clearly defined way, but I don't know. I know it when I see it. The- the here the difference is like the soap opera element is the Mary Jane Peter Parker relationship of the comic books. A CW moment is uh, Pacey um, Dawson and whatever I can't remember the girl's name played. Uh, those Dawson Creek's char- yeah. characters. Yeah, uh, th- you know that's a CW moment where it's so like Twilightish in a way. You know that that's the difference. Uh, One's well written, the other one just makes me want to vomit, you know. So that's that's the difference. 
<laughs> but you're right. There's so many little things in this episode. Um, the whole bit with Cisco and yep. and Doctor Wells and how mad Doctor Wells is at him for doing something, you know, letting that get out, something that could threaten Barry. He's kind of like showing off his he's showing off his protection of Barry to, to Cisco now, you know, rather than keeping it, you know, secret. It seemed like more of a, a secret thing before. He was kind of pretty obviously blatant about it. This time. If he's from the future, he knows what's happening. So he's going to know who Captain Cold is. He's going to kind of know that whole origin of it. Wouldn't he have already known that Cisco created that weapon? He's from a future. True. You know what I mean? Okay. He might not know. He might not know all the details. I mean, if you went back, you know, thirty years, would you know all the details of everything thirty years ago in your life or anyone else's? Well, if I'm obsessed about one particular subject, which in his case is the Flash, I would probably know a lot. But yeah, right. yeah, I I get where you're coming from. I just, I just, I think it might be like a a future or a possible future that he's trying to make come about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I can see that. Or maybe Captain Cold ends up being like a huge deal down the line, and he knows it, and that's why he's mad. Yeah. You know that you know. Oh well, you, now you've created an nemesis for this guy I was trying to protect. You know. Right. I, don't, I enjoy the whole thing. I I like the bits with uh, the bit at the end with uh, Heat Wave. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, look, I know we'd never work. You said we'd never work together again. I know you don't trust me. I know you tried to kill me. Here's a super weapon. But I thought Wentworth Miller was really good as Captain Cold. Kind of like that that calculating side of Leonard Snart that we see in the comics. Um, you know, Tom Cavanaugh as well is kind of like trying not to play his hand, but also you know, kind of freaking out at what you know Cisco had done. Trivia night, them going to trivia oh, night was fun. And <laughs> E equals MC Hammered or Oh, very funny. Yeah. Um, I have to say though, I think one of the one of the best mo- flash moments. In, in that episode is when Captain Cold is basically, let's test out your speed, and he fails to get to that one guy. And, right. and just the 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 level of how he handled it and, and, you know, how he was basically, you know, talking with Cisco about how, you know, we killed somebody. Because of you, or because of your weapon, we've killed somebody. We couldn't save somebody, and I don't know. It just really informed more on his character than than anything else in that episode. I really liked that scene. But then you also have the, the almost like the bookend scene to that later, where Felicity says that she heard them, uh, him and Oliver, talking on that rooftop that night. Yeah. And then she says, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You know, you're you're only human. You know, you have. You fight the good fight, but like the you know, there are, you know, soldiers are still gonna die in the war. That was basically the metaphor she was going for. And then later, that totally pays off in that scene with the train, which I thought was brilliantly like done in special effects wise. I almost forgot about that scene. Yes, I love that. That was just incredible. The way they they slowed it all down. They used the digital photography to slow it all down and had him like literally like taking each person off the train individually as it derailed. That was just so awesome. Really well done. I was really impressed totally with that agree. sequence. Especially for a TV show, you know? That'd be something I expect to see in, like, a Marvel movie or something. Yeah, you know there I mean? has not been one effect uh, in in this show so far that hasn't impressed me for TV. You know, even, even any of the fire effects or anything, because usually those can go so wrong with TV budgets, but... You know, I don't know what kind of budget they're using on this show, but they definitely are pulling out uh, all the stops and coming up with some great 
effects scenes. I don't know. I just like I just really feel like the show's firing on all cylinders. Whereas you know, it, you know, whereas Arrow is kind of eschewing superpowers and going for more of a gritty kind of assassin on assassin type thing. You have the Flash just kind of totally embracing that side of the DCU and and you know going for it, going for it in a major way. You know? Yeah, and you know the other thing too is is just the reactions that I've been uh, reading or chatting with people on the interwebs, and that is you know there are so many people that aren't comic fans, but they're fans of certain DC characters. Um, they grew onto Arrow and whatnot, but just the level of excitement of people that didn't really know flash other than by name or, or, or what have you, you know, and how much they have just instantly fallen in love with this series and are, are fully on board. That's, I mean, it, it's, it's like DC's Iron Man, but of the TV universe instead of movies, you know, it's just like people are just come flocking to it. Uh, you know, I, there are people that I work with that have no interest in comic books or anything, and they're hitting me up with emails uh, every week now. Uh, on on Wednesday morning, I just got a box full of emails from people, co-workers, going, what about this? What is this character? What did this mean? What's going on here? You know, and of course, I tell them, you just go to hhwlod.com and you listen to the podcast. <laughs> There you go. Well, like I said, we'll get to ratings later, but The Flash debuted as the big, the highest de- uh, debuting show ever on CW. And as you'll see, even though there's been a slight dip in the ratings, not like even a, a significant dip, it's still holding on strong. Um, we had a lot of good comments in the uh, in the Facebook group. And if you would like to comment in the Facebook group, we surely would appreciate it. If you'd like to join our Facebook group, it's the DC TV Podcast Facebook group, oddly enough named for the show. The DCTV podcast. Strange how that worked it out. Works huh? out great. Yeah, it's great. But please join our Facebook group. Leave comments there, and we'll read them on the show as we're doing now. We our first comments from Patrick Tony. Uh, thanks for contributing again, Patrick. Uh, seeing Barry use the speed to play three different games with his team was fun. That scene brought a smile to my face. Uh, Ke- I agree. Caitlin getting frustrated with Operation was funny. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Even though even though Wells checkmated him. Um, yeah. Having Cisco be the one to create the Captain Cold Gun as a response to take down Barry gave the character some layers. Um, I agree with that too. Yeah. Like, but he makes a re- he made a really good point. You know, I mean, he was he was in an explosion in a coma. They didn't know, you know, what would happen when he woke up. He could have been another multiplex. He could have been another, you know, mist. You know what I mean? And him building that gun makes sense. You know, it kind of reminds me of the contingencies that Batman came up with to take down all the members of the JLA just in case. I mean, my yeah. God, how many you know, how many times have been the victim of mind control? Of course he'd have those contingencies. Why would you be shocked and hurt that he did? You know? That was one of my first thoughts when Cisco was explaining it was was Bruce having all those ways to take every member down. That was the first thing that popped in my head. And I was like, you know, it makes perfect sense. And I agree with him. It, it does add layers and it does it. I, I really, 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 I, there's just so much that is so good about this episode and this show in general, that it's just hard to find any fault. I do love, uh, I did love when he, uh, he coined the, ter- the name Captain Cole. Yeah. He, he did seem a little, a little uh, you know, pleased with himself. Uh, well, so angry towards Cisco creating a weapon that could hurt Barry really brings more proof that he is Reverse Flash. It definitely shows more intent, you know, of this, you know, trying to protect Barry and, and create, you know, create the Flash, you know, this kind of image or whatever. So I definitely agree with that. Uh, am I not wrong saying Felicity is quiet MVP of Arrow and the Flash? <laughs> no, sir, you are not wrong at all. You are correct. 
I can never get enough of Felicity. Uh, great seeing with Miller back on television. I watched all four seasons of Prison Break. Uh, the end scene of him talking to Heat Wave was good. Can't wait for the Prison Break reunion. Yeah, I really are where cold when Cold and Heat Wave appear. I won't be surprised if we don't get the Rogues by the end of the season. I hope we get the Rogues by the end of the season. I'm, that would be great. I'm, I have a feeling we will. So I think it's great. I, I I really enjoyed him. The only thing I knew Wentworth Miller from was um, a Resident Evil movie that he made with Mila Jovovich. Um, I think it was Resident Evil Apocalypse or maybe the one before that. But I, he was okay in that, but he was just basically, you know, you know, lantern-jawed, intense dude with a gun number two. Right. Um, in this, he really, I mean, I really liked the kind of menace he brought to Snart and the kind of, you know, just, I don't know, just the, um, the, pro, the pro-criminal perspective, I would have to say, he really brought it too. Um you know, just kind of that pro, that professional air, as it were. Well, and just the, the, the level of arrogance that he has, just, you know, I, I don't know. It's like the character stepped right off the page for me. And, and again, I'm a little biased because he is my favorite out of the Flash canon. I just, I really, really like Captain Cold. Always have. Um, he, he, was, he was where DC made up for uh, Mr. Freeze, in my opinion. So... Well, it makes sense for a cold villain to be up against the Flash right. because it's like the exact opposite of his power, pretty much. Uh, Johnny M. from the Long Box of Doom and the It's All Connected podcast. It got a little CW-ish tonight, but Felicity Smoke makes everything better. Uh, Captain Cold was cool. See what I did there? <laughs> oh, John, I could shave with your wit, buddy. <laughs> it's so sharp. I predict Cisco becomes a villain one day. He'll get too tired of no no one appreciating his talents or some junk. Hmm. I don't know about that. Man. Can can we can we spoil <laughs> who we think Cisco is going to end up being? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Comic fans will recognize his, his name. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to go that route with him. So, if you really want to know, you can go. You can you know Google it yourselves. So, uh, Sean Rogers, our friend from Nolans, uh, from the Nothing's On podcast, uh, uh, frequent emailer and writer. Best episode so far. I agree, Sean. It was it was it was badass. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, Carlos Carmona, Carmona, uh, frequent contributor to Taylor Network of podcasts, uh, pretty damn good. He was a good Captain Cold, and you just spot the early re- reference to Heat Wave. Then that extra Marvel-like ending happened. Good stuff. So you know, again, everyone overwhelmingly positive on the Flash. Yep, I agree with all of those comments. Yeah, definite. You know preempting your question it's a definite yay <laughs> for flash for me oh yeah I, you know definitely yay on my end yeah. too i just um i really enjoyed uh i just really enjoyed the show I, you know it just keeps getting better and better I keep waiting for a misstep or waiting for an episode where i'm just you know dumbfounded or, or disappointed but it hasn't happened so far so i'm just wondering if if i i don't know I'm getting the sense from what I see in the credits and what I read that Jeff Johns is very heavy handed in, in, in his involvement with this show. And, you know, I think that that shows because what I get from, I, cause I was never a huge green lantern fan until Jeff Johns basically revived and revamped the character into what was really good as far as Hal Jordan and whatnot. To me, this, you know, what he did with the flash in the comics was pretty well done and this just goes to show that he can take a character that 
you know, doesn't have a lot of popularity in some cases, uh, especially in the general public, and turn it into a winning situation. And I, you know, I, I hope that whatever formula they're all using as the, the crew and the creators are using, uh, they keep doing doing that. I, I, you know, of course, any television show, if it runs for a while, there's going to be a misstep or two. But um, at, with the way they're doing things, I find it hard to believe that they would have one. You know, it's just been so superb in the way that they have done this show. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see going forward if, you know, the other NBC, um, the, the Supergirl show that's also being produced by Greg Berlanti maybe has some sort of tie-in with this. Or, right. or somehow cohesively connected, you know, to to the Queen and and well, Alan universes. Yeah, they're they're using the same casting director and everything for Supergirls. What I read. So okay, let's move on to uh, our final show for the evening: Arrow, the Magician, and uh, the return in full of Merlin. In this, I guess you'd have to say, um, love John Barrowman as Mer- Merlin. By the yeah, way. I was gonna say John. Bar- it's hard for me to get into seeing him play a character that's not, or a character. I don't want to say that's bad or evil, but you know, that's definitely not the good guy. Um, it's just I'm such a huge fan of him. I, you know, I can't see him on screen or hear him his voice without thinking of Captain Jack. Um, and I, I really like Merlin and I really got this vibe, uh, at least my perspective on the character this episode was, um, more, he is more your misguided and misunderstood than evil guy. I think that he has definitely been led down paths and gone down paths that he shouldn't, but I think it's possible now, you know, with the whole truth with Thea and everything else, that maybe he is going to start seeking some kind of personal redemption. I and 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 maybe and possibly, you know, he's got his foot in the door at least with Ollie, um, you know, with what happened in tonight's episode or this week's episode. So really, really, really love the Merlin character. I really like the whole way. You know, at first when it was revealed that he was Thea's father. Uh, and, and whatnot, I was like, yeah, I had a little bit of an eye rolling moment, but they have handled it so well. I really, really enjoy all the aspects of this big, uh, you know, uh, triangle of things between Ollie, Thea, him, and, you know, what happened with his mother and everything else. And, um, I really was kind of hoping though, that, that Oliver was going to give her more truth in this episode than he did. Oliver doesn't think Merlin killed Sarah. And I think that's what plays into him not killing Merlin oh, later yeah. in the show. Oh, yeah. I almost think the League of Assassins killed Sarah just to stir up the shit. You know what I mean? Between between them. And now, I mean, now the, um, you know, at the end of the episode, you know, they're they're saying that, um, you know, if, if Queen decides, now he's decided not to kill Merlin, if he chooses to protect him, then, you know, he courts war with the League of Assassins. I mean, would you have taken the shot? Would you have killed Merlin? You know, knowing that, you know, he's your sister's dad and knowing that he might, he probably isn't responsible for Sarah's death and I don't think I I think that Ollie did the right thing I think I don't I don't have any problem with that um I understood where her anger was coming from as to why she wanted him to kill him the whole thing is I I I think even though it didn't come right out and say it or show it 
I definitely think you're right about the League of Assassins, uh, you know, doing this to stir up, stir it up. To me, it was implied. It was implied that 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 Raja Ghul, you know, had no love for Sarah. It was obvious that he put up with her as a nuisance uh, because of his his own daughter. And I think this was his way taking care of that problem, and that way he right. And bringing Nissa closer into the fold. Exactly. You know, yep. giving her more of a reason to have a kind of, you know, uh, fire in her belly to do stuff for the League of Assassins, you know, rather than to be happy with Sarah. And, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because Laurel was a character that I've kind of been annoyed with from the beginning. Not, not to the point that I didn't like the character, but, you know, there were just aspects of that character that would bug me. And, you know sad it took her sister getting killed but um, now she's becoming interesting to me and you know now I'm seeing more depth with her character and I'm liking where it's going right and she's trying to like you know train but also like keep her father in the dark about Sarah and then you know Nissa almost spilling the beans to her father in this and I don't know just um yeah she, there's more there's more interesting stuff going on with her than before yeah, before and, it was more like you know just the DA stuff, and then just kind of her whining a lot. And now she's kind of stepping up. Now that after what happened to Sarah, she's really trying to step up and and you know do something about it. I mean, it does make her more interesting as a character. Yeah, and when when she first was going to tell her father, uh, was it last episode or the one before, whichever it was, um, you know, I I was not in agreement with her telling him. And then when she decided to not tell him. I was definitely on board with that, but this episode made me feel, you know, and I, and obviously it was written to make us feel this way, but I really feel bad that he's in the dark now, but I, I still, I still want him to be spared the truth of what has happened to her. But my question is, is as time goes on, will his agony of never not hearing from her cause more damage than you know, finding out that she's dead. He might, he might have just end up assume she, assuming she's dead after a while. Plus, I mean, right now with the League of Assassins breathing down his neck for protecting Merlin, the last thing, you know, Oliver Queen needs is, is to run afoul of the police department all over again. Right. And they've just kind of gotten to this detente where you know he has respect for what uh, you know the Arrow is doing, kind of understands that he's, you know what I mean. Yeah. Kind of become his commissioner, Gordon, in a way, and if this. You know, if this news about Sarah got out, I mean, I'm sure he would blame Oliver. You know, I'm sure that that would all go down the tubes. And interesting. Yeah. It's, it's going to an interesting place. And uh, I really like this episode quite a bit. Yeah. And like I said, I just, I kind of wish that, you know, I thought after what happened down in uh, South America or wherever they were, um, you know, I thought that he was going to open up to her with more of the truth, that he was the arrow and and all those aspects of it. Um, and, and by not doing so, I think he's setting up another time bomb of emotions that's going to cause problems between him and Thea. You know, I, I, I'm just curious, how long is it going to be? Because I have a feeling it's going to be Merlin spilling the beans to her, not Ollie. So I, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure that he's playing his hand right now. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. Um, while we are a little short on Facebook comments about Arrow, we did get a really good post from Russ L. from the Long Box of Doom and longtime podcasting partner of mine um, about an Arrow drinking game. Take a shot every time Diggle says copy that. 
Wow, that's a lot of booze, man. <laughs> the dude's been military for and special forces most of his adult life. I mean, come on. I know, but he says life. it every time, and Russ is absolutely correct. And I, I, it's fine; it's part of his character. I have no problem with that. I just, it's it'd be a good drinking game. He's right. It's absolutely. I, I think it should be more take a shot every time I uh, start to drift off into to to fantasy land. Every t- when I think and see Felicity on screen, because <laughs> I would definitely get alcohol poisoning. Are you already, like, losing your sight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Chubbs, let's talk some ratings, shall we? Sure. Let's start out with Constantine. Uh, it went up against the World Series on Fox in its opening, but it actually got a pretty good rating. It, it kept uh, 90% of its demo lead-in from Grimm. Uh, it had a 1.4 uh, rating with a 5 share in adults 18 to 49. That's about 4.3 million viewers overall. Um, the season premiere of Grimm was just uh, uh, mil- just about a million viewers more than that. So uh, that's not too bad of a, of a loss there from one to the other. Yeah. Um, it's also still, it held steady in the second half hour. Uh, a vast majority of the people who um, watched uh, the episode stuck with it uh, all the way to the end. The... Uh, Dracula, uh, a series that was actually in the slot last year, uh, premiered uh, uh, bigger, but uh, it didn't have the competition of the World Series. So it's kind of not, you, know, you really can't, you know, it's like judging apples and oranges. The World Series took a big chunk out of everyone's ratings right. because it's the World Series. But it, it definitely uh, debuts in, in a strong place for that, for that slot, and it held a lot of its lead in. Uh, which is great because Grimm has a definite following. It's been going on for four seasons now, and uh, you know people love it. So I mean, and it's definitely a good, fit. like you said earlier in the podcast, it's definitely a good fit. A good, um, you know, Grimm is a great lead-in for that show because they're, you know, they're so close and in, uh, in in subject matter. I just hope it doesn't end up like Dracula because Dracula had such promise in the beginning and just fizzled for me, and obviously for others because it never came back. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I I think that this definitely will have... It's going to keep drawing the Grimm fans in, and they'll stick around. I'm kind of curious as far as Grimm and Constantine go tomorrow night because Halloween being on a Friday, you know, I, I think it's going to be more in the DVR numbers than it's going to be ratings. But we'll right. see. Constantine did, did definitely uh, benefit from uh, plus three and plus seven. Uh, well, plus seven numbers on this coming Friday, but the plus three numbers added another three tenths of a, of a, a point to that share. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Gotham in its slot. Here's something interesting. It it lost out to Big Bang Theory and The Voice, both of which are very popular shows, but it beat Dancing with the Stars in that first hour, and it beat CW's originals by by quite a bit. It was a two point three rating, uh, seven share. That's that translates to about six million viewers live. Uh, add another two million onto that for the plus three, um, and you're looking at you know the second highest rated show in that slot. It gets pretty close to where the voice is as far as number of viewers watching. But here's the interesting part: the show The Millers, which is the second half of that hour, um, has a lower rating than Gotham. It has a two point one. So fewer people are watching the second. I mean. So people are watching The Big Bang Theory and switching off or switching on to something else. Um, the Mill- If you have it handy, what were the plus three numbers on the Millers? On the Mill, I don't have plus three numbers. Okay, on the yeah, because um, 
I'm not like a. To me, it's one of those guilty pleasure shows as far as I've got the DVR set and whenever I get to it, I'll get to it. And being out of town, I didn't see it till this Saturday. It was on my DVR. I had forgotten that it was even coming back out. You know, it, it was on a different night last season, uh, its first season. And um, I that's why I didn't even realize it was on. If it, if it weren't for the fact my DVR caught it, I wouldn't have even known. So that's why I was wondering, you know, because CBS jumbled around all of their programming for the first five, six weeks this this fall season because of Thursday night football. So the um right and now which they don't have now, which they got rid of, I guess. Yeah. Um. So in that second half hour, Gotham was the second highest rated show, um, after The Voice. The Voice being number one, and then Gotham, and then The Millers. So it's doing pretty well for itself. Well, and The Voice really had, I don't watch that, but, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz around about it because this week uh, Taylor Swift was guest judging or something like that. And so it had a bigger draw than it usually does, is my understanding. Yeah, Taylor Swift is very popular with the young people. Yep. The Flash added um, 5 million viewers with its plus three. Wow. Uh, Basically, so with its um, live plus three day Nielsen data. Um, the flash got up to 5.22 million viewers, which is almost as much as Gotham really. Um, it added 1.7 million viewers to its live and same day total, almost half again, as many viewers, um, watching it with the plus three and the plus seven. So, I mean, it jumped 31%, uh, in that, in that rating. And I mean, it gave it it gave it a huge boost in the ratings, the plus three and the plus seven. It seems to be doing a uh, seems to be happening a lot with these genre shows. Tuesday was the pivotal game six to the World Series, so I'm sure that that you know played up against against them a little bit. You know, uh, for for the sports fans, you know, when it gets to game six, game seven of the World Series, people tend to watch more of it. But um, it, it it's holding its own against. That. It's also up against. It's also up against. Um, uh, the Voice again, and uh, NCIS, which is you know a huge ratings juggernaut yep. for old people, but it went from uh, three point five three uh, million viewers to uh, five point five, uh, with the plus three and the plus seven. So that again, like, it's almost half again as many viewers. Had a one point four rating with a five share in the in the prime demographic, and it beat out ABC's uh, offering that night, the Great Halloween Fright Fight, whatever that was, but. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's definitely holding its own in its time slot. I don't think it's ever going to win that time slot with the voice in NCIS uh, being its competition, but considering how many viewers it's bringing in uh, against those shows, it's definitely definitely holding its own. And the uh, the ratings for Arrow have been very strong this year. In fact, the um, uh, Arrow beat NBC last week and almost beat them again this week uh, in their ratings. And uh, we don't have plus three or plus seven numbers from from uh, Arrow yet because of when we're recording, but um, the CW has been plus thirteen percent in total viewers uh, over last week, and uh, part of that is Arrow because it was up eight percent total viewers, up to twenty two point seven seven million, uh, a share of uh, one point four going up from one point three, and it outrated NBC in the in its hour again this week, so. Cool. Arrow is doing pretty well, and there some of the speculation is it's getting some of the heat off of the Flash. Yeah, which I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know? I mean Arrow kind of set the groundwork for the the Flash to happen, but I mean the Flash is kind of reflecting back some of its 
you know, popularity. Which so. this week really helped with having Felicity guest star on there and kind of bring it back to there. So, yeah, I can see that. Totally. Yeah, yeah that, the cross-marketing is going to really work out for them. I'll tell you this, and we have... the, the Arrow has moved up as the, like, when you see the most popular uh, watch stuff on Netflix and Hulu and all that, it's always been in the popular shows, but, you know, it's towards the end of that list here lately it's at the top near you know so i can see where people are going back probably now and watching those first couple of seasons to catch up uh right i do know that that uh you know both seasons dropped on netflix right before the third season began too they only had season one up there for a long time yeah they dropped season two like right before third season began so that's cool i'm 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 glad it's a good show it's a quality show i've got some dc tv news real quick uh, first of all, a a live action Static Shock TV show has been confirmed uh, with Jaden Smith as the the rumored lead. Um, I was a big fan of the Milestone Universe back in the day, and uh, Dwayne McDuffie and all the other, and Trevor Von Eden and all those guys who created that that really cool uh, comics line back then. Static Shock is a great character. Um, we like Static Shock a lot, and. Um... I was really disappointed with when they did the new 52 that it didn't, it wasn't done with better quality. Um, it, and I didn't think it was that bad. I actually, I actually liked the character, but they canceled the book after what, seven issues or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I remember the, the cartoon quite right. a bit and you know. I also remember them. It was interesting because they wove that cartoon into the DCU animated continuity. They ended up having like, not an elderly, but an adult static in the future Justice League when, uh, you know, during, I think it's, wasn't it Batman Beyond? I think. Where he has to team with the Justice League and there's a, it's an adult static. I think so. Or is it the, uh, or no, it, it's, the, I'm sorry. It's the Justice League where they travel to the future. The once in future thing. Oh, it's, it's, okay. It's a two, yeah. Two part episode with Kronos. Yep. And they, they run into an adult static. And, uh, so that was all woven into that as well. So that that's really cool and exciting. I think it'd be a, could be a good show. Um, we got uh, when, Arrow and Flash TV series action figures this week. Um, uh, available. Yeah, I uh, looked, and right now only the Arrow and um, Deathstroke. Deathstroke are available so far on Amazon, and they're in a two-pack set. Uh, Flash isn't right. available yet. Uh, I think it's going to be like another month or so. But I've already pre-ordered the Flash, and I have the the Arrow and, and Deathstroke two two piece uh, on order. So really nice detail on these too. I'm looking at the proto. Yeah, the photos look excellent, and I'm really really excited to get my hands on some of these. Um, the the styling, the detail, it's just really nice. Yeah. Hey, I, uh, I love that. I love the TV version of Deathstroke. Probably even almost more than the comic book version, just because he looks more realistic. Yeah, I I like I very much. Yeah, I like I think I like the TV version better. Hey, just uh, not to stall, but uh, back you up just to the Static Shock news for a second. Did it give like an idea of when this show might happen? No, just that it was greenlit. Okay, it's been confirmed and greenlit, and that's that's about it from MoviePilot.com. Okay, they're they're pretty they're pretty reliable. Um, they talked to we we said we saw the the helmet of Doctor Fate in the Constantine uh, pilot. And Jeff Johns uh, saying that he's open to using uh, Doctor Fate as a jumping-off point for you know his own show. You know, 
Um, he, the quote is, he said, like on Constantine, we already have Jim Corrigan. We put Dr. Fate's helmet in the pilot. That wasn't just an Easter egg. I like the term Easter egg, but I prefer that all of our Easter eggs actually lead somewhere that they are foreshadowing. So a lot of things we plant in these series are there to introduce new characters. I I I don't know if I don't know if a Doctor Fate series could hold its own for long. Maybe it could, but I definitely would love to see it. I love that character. It'd be cool. I mean, it'd be cool even just to see him in an episode of Constantine. Yes, you know, in some in some way. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, you look at little things like you know the the gorilla named Grodd in uh, in the Flash pilot or. Robin, Ronnie Raymond, like all these different things that they dropped in in you know the Flash and in Arrow that have kind of kind of coming into fruition as we go on. Yep. So it's kind of a it's almost like a, a way the the Marvel movies did what they did. You know they you know start one thing. You know you, you see a file that says the Avengers Initiative in Iron Man one, and if you you know movies down the road, hey look it's the Avengers. So right. I don't know. I think it's a pretty smart way to do things. Yeah, and I think that. Um... Their strategy for how they're doing their DC TV is paying off better than they've done with their films, um, and 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 hopefully maybe the 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 strategy translates and they they do well with the films in the way that it unfolds. Because I mean, at this point, it's obvious they're going to be two separate universes, so you know that they're not going to cross. But you know, I I I really like like I said earlier in the show was. Uh, I feel that Flash is kind of their TV version of Iron Man movie, you know, for for really drawing in the people that aren't necessarily genre fan. Uh, also, this week we got a, um, a interesting news bit that a new TV show titled Krypton is in development. David Goyer has been attached to that, and supposedly it is going to take place on the planet of Krypton before the birth of Superman, which I don't know how well that would work or how much I would want to watch that. <laughs> you know, I would rather them, uh, I would kind of rather them make a, a, a bottled city of candor, uh, show before I saw a Krypton show, you know, sure. I mean, cause there's been some really good storylines in the comics that take place there and, and things like that. Of course, then of course you're going to be dealing with having, um, it, during the same time that Superman is Superman, so I don't know if they would have to cast a Superman into that or not. I, I, I'm not sure, but what I read on it was that they're basing the idea of it being a successful premise off of the fact that Gotham has been a successful... Right. And, right. and, and I, I feel it's still maybe a little too early to, to tout that Gotham is this huge success solely because it's a prequel um, part of the timeline to Batman. Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, they, that could be right. I just don't. I, to me, it just is a little too early to say, hey, let's plan a whole thing around this Krypton because these cats are really loving the before the superhero stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Still too early. And something you use on on in, you know Gotham in one context might not work in another. Exactly. You know I mean, we got uh, some casting news this week. Uh, Linda Park has been cast on The Flash. The actress's name is Melise Zhao. Um, she'll be appear in the, in the twelfth episode of the first season. Cool. Um, it's interesting because uh, wasn't Linda Park Wally West's love interest? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't he marry her and stuff? Have kids with think, her? Yeah, yeah. They were married. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, hmm. 
but uh, she's going to be a reporter for Central City Picture News, you know, just like in the comic, and uh, befriend Iris West and, and Barry Allen. So, interesting. Well, to me, our TV flash Barry Allen is kind of a, a melding together of the comics Barry Allen and Wally West. There's a lot of Barry Allen there, but there's a lot of aspects that seem very much from the Wally West stories to me, or the character. And I know we mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating. After the um, the DVR plus three plus seven numbers, um, the Flash premiere is the most watched CW telecast ever. It's very nice. Yeah, it ended up getting 6.8 million viewers after its plus seven. So that breaks every record the CW has ever had since its inception. Which means hopefully they'll get more sponsorships so that we don't have to see so many CW spots on Jane the Virgin or whatever that show is that they that, <laughs> that they played commercials for three times each commercial break. <laughs> I know you mentioned earlier also uh, David Rappaport Casting is handling the casting for Supergirl. They are the ones who cast Arrow and The Flash. So, and in some uh, tangential DC news in the movie... Um, uh, capacity ble- uh, comicbook.com uh, and bleedingcool.com are both reporting that the it's been leaked that in that Wonder Woman the Wonder Woman movie that DC is putting out is going to be set in the 1920s this makes it even more interesting to me um, I've been kind of looking at that news all day today off and on uh, while I was at work and just you know it's been a very mixed response to that but it's weird because You know, there's a lot of points in history, and I'm a big history guy. I love history. There's a lot of points in history that I would like to have been around. But for some reason, I'm very much drawn to the 1920s, the late teens and and all through the 20s. I like that time. uh, You know, that's why it was sad to see Empire, uh, Boardwalk Empire go this this last weekend. Um, But uh, hearing this makes me so excited for this series. Just what they could do with it, get get very pulp fictiony and noir with it and just i i think it's a great idea i think it's a cool idea too and especially according to the report the plan is to follow the first wonder woman up with a sequel set during world war ii yeah and then turn the whole thing into a trilogy with a third film set during the justice league era i think that's great i would love to see a world war ii wonder woman movie um much like captain america i mean that character was born in that time period and just really seems you know, at home in that time period to me. So, I mean, even, you know, as, as interesting as the 20s is, I think, you know, World War II Wonder Woman movie could be really great. And and, and I'm 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 really hoping it, it plays out well, because I have to tell you, uh, after um, um, Azzarello and Chang's recent run on Wonder Woman, I don't know if you've read that, but... That, oh, yeah, it's really That good. is probably my favorite, most favorite ever Wonder Woman storyline and arc and and run in the comics ever i just i i think it was fantastic i i would love to have seen that as a movie but you know it really probably i don't know if it would get the same kind of reaction from a, a general movie going audience but i i really do hope that they keep her origin very close to what the way azarello changed it a little bit there in the books so yeah, I hope she's not made out of clay or something. Yeah, um, as in the original origin, I right? Guess. So that is your DC TV podcast for this week. Uh, again, next week we'll be covering Constantine and Flash and Gotham and Arrow, uh, as we have this week. Thanks for joining me, Rich. Oh, always it, a pleasure. 
If you enjoy this podcast and you like other television shows, then by all means go to hhwled.com. We have a podcast there that cover The Walking Dead uh, on our Walking Dead TV podcast, one of the most popular podcasts about the show out there on the iTunes. We also have the It's All Connected show, which is a Marvel Cinematic Universe show, which also covers Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all the other tangential stuff. Uh, leading in and out of those movies. Uh, also, the Ichapod Cranecast following Sleepy Hollow uh, every week. Uh, another cool show, and that's done by uh, Aaron Newarth and, and Brandon Peters. And speaking of Aaron, if you would like to read his weekly reviews of each of the Gotham episodes as they come out, he is writing them at theyoungfolks.com. You can hit on our Facebook uh, page and get those links there, or go to theyoungfolks.com and search Aaron Newarth's name. Uh, either way, those reviews are worth your time as well. Uh, so for all my friends of the HHWLOD Podcast Network, for Rich Sheldon and myself, uh, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.